This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Get $50 off select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash fool and using the promo code fool at checkout. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, January 12th. We're looking at holiday data from Amazon and what it might mean for other companies. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com's Danny Venna. Danny, how's it going? It's good, Dylan. How are you? I'm doing okay. Did um, did you order any gifts on Amazon this holiday season? You know, we had just moved into the new house, so Christmas was kind of sparse this year. Didn't really do much shopping. It was mostly about spending time with family this year. That sounds like a pretty nice holiday, though. Not bad. I will tell you, I ordered some gifts on Amazon, as did my mom, and I piggyback on her Prime account. And so both of our credit cards are on file. And she wound up ordering gifts for me and paying for them with my card. So, so, so I got home and I was like, Mom, what the heck? Uh, but I guess that's the perils of, of sharing a Prime account and kind of leeching. Hey, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we have one Prime account for my entire family. My wife and I use it. My mother-in-law uses it. My daughter uses it. So, you know, with there's, what, 300 million people in the country and, what, 100 million households or something like that? So I wouldn't be surprised that there's you know a lot of doubling up going on, and Amazon doesn't seem to mind too much. Um, you know, I bought some stuff. My mom bought some stuff on Amazon. We are not the only ones. We're going to take a look at some of the data from their holiday quarter on this show, and also some general uh, industry data that we've seen with uh, e-commerce. So we're going to take a look at what that means for Amazon. Uh, generally, good things. It's, it's it's hard for Amazon to put up some bad e-commerce numbers, and then we're also going to take a look at what some of these comments from Amazon, what some of this data from Amazon might mean for other players um, in the retail space. So, first off, Danny, why don't we talk about some info that we got from analytics provider OneClick Retail? And this is kind of broad, broad scope e-commerce data that we got. So, OneClick Retail passed along some information about Amazon's uh, holiday quarter. And now, we don't necessarily know exactly um, how that quarter turned out, but basically the information that they provided said that Amazon captured somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 4% of all uh, retail sales in the country for 2017 and 44% of all e-commerce sales, which is monstrous. That number is staggering to me. And there are a couple different things I think that are worth noting there. It's like 44% of e-commerce sales is crazy. And you look at what that translates to on the overall retail footprint, right? We've talked about plenty of times on the show the idea that e-commerce as a percentage of retail is still relatively small. I think it's just around 10 or 11%. So, you know, we th- we think of e-commerce as this thing that has happened already. We are still well in the growth ramp of e-commerce. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and and the 10%, 11% number that you cite um, includes things that people are not going to be able to buy on e-commerce, like fuel, for instance. Um, if you back out some of those other items, the number's actually quite a bit lower. It's like 83 8.4%, I think, for the most recent quarter. So, really, a long ways to go. 
So some great data from industry experts here. We also got some really interesting stuff from Amazon. I think one of the things that I really enjoy with this company is their post-holiday rush press release. You get a pretty interesting picture of what happened with them on some specific product segments and it's kind of just some general swath, like broad stroke data on what's going on with them as a company. Two big things really popped out to me in this press release. One of them was what's going on with Amazon devices, and the second one, what's going on with Prime memberships. Well, you know, one of the things that we should point out going into this is that Amazon has always been really cagey about how many Prime members there are and how many devices they've sold. They tell you, we sold this many more than the previous year. Um, sales doubled over this time period, but they've never given you a base number. So you don't really know how many devices that they have sold. Yeah, it's kind of tricky when you when you can't find an original number to work off of. You can't even kind of back into a ballpark on roughly what a number is. I know a lot of folks in the industry have tried and at least put out numbers as estimates for people to kind of work off of, but it is a little bit of a struggle. Um, to your point about that, uh, in the press release, they say Amazon devices had the best holiday yet, with tens of millions of Alexa-enabled devices sold worldwide. So we have tens of millions as a number, basically. That, that's what we're working with here. <coughs> and that could be, you know, tens of millions could be 10 million, could be 20 million, could be 100 million. We just don't know. Yeah, they're all they're all factually accurate according to ten million tens of millions, right? Right. Um, other info we got: the Echo Dot was the number one selling Amazon device this holiday season, and I think importantly, the best selling product from any manufacturer in any category across all of Amazon. Uh, that's that's pretty staggering. It, it is, and it's also if you think back to uh, Amazon's Prime Day that they had in July, um, which is their you know, three years ago, Prime Day started as their Christmas in July. Um, and if you go back to Prime Day that they had this past July, they cited similar um, statistics saying that, you know, Amazon products were among the best selling for Prime members and the Echo Dot was the biggest selling product across um the, like you cited, all, all of the products across all categories. One other thing that really stuck out to me here is what we saw with Prime memberships. So they said in one week, more than 4 million people began Prime free trials or paid memberships. Of course, they don't parse out how much of that was free memberships and how much of that was paid memberships. Um, last I'd seen for a number, the company had somewhere in the ballpark of like 90 million Prime members. I don't know if that jives with what you remember, Danny, but that is huge growth within a week. That That is large growth. Uh, and you're right. The last number that I've seen anywhere, you, there there are a number of different players out there who are trying to estimate just how many Prime members there are. Again, Amazon is really cagey with that number. They don't really tell us. Uh, but there's a company called uh, Consumer Intelligence Research Partners, um, which puts out a press release every once in a while when they've updated what their estimates are. And most recently... Um, they said that Amazon uh, Prime has approximately 90 million members. Now, and it's not just the Prime memberships because they get they get revenue from the Prime memberships. They get additional sales. But what's interesting to note is when 
consumer intelligence research partners released their data, they also said that your average Prime member spends $1,300 annually compared to $700 annually for non-Prime customers. So that's almost twice as much. So Amazon has a vested interest in getting as many Prime members on the books as it possibly can. And to tack on to that, I believe that same data um, also indicated that Echo users spend an average of $1,700 annually. I think so. There's there's kind of this hierarchy within within Amazon customers of the relative value of each customer type to the company. Right, and and that uh, I, that Echo number that you cited, I think that's the first time that somebody's put out a number like that. Um, you know, Echo sales have been. They've been pretty high. Amazon has a two and a half year lead uh, in in the smart speaker category. Um, and one of the things that they found, and I've seen several analysts have put out data on this as well, that says that people who own an Echo device of any sort um, tend to spend more on Amazon uh, than people who don't. And this is the first time anybody's tried to put a number to that. Yeah, and uh, when you, when you see that kind of flow down of seventeen hundred, thirteen hundred, seven hundred, you can understand why they're pushing these devices so much, and why, uh, frankly, as an Amazon investor, I'm pretty thrilled that they're selling very well. You know, um, looking at the company, the e-commerce business, while it's really what they're known for in a lot of ways, it is not what makes them most of their money. I think they have uh, basically sub one percent margins in North America, and they're actually losing money. Um, over in their international e-commerce efforts, AWS, their web infrastructure segment, is really what's kind of driving profits for them uh, and making them able to invest in all of these other ventures. But you think about the stickiness of an ecosystem and the value of Amazon as a platform, they continue to build that out with things like Prime and with Echo. Well, Prime and Echo, but like you said, you know, right now, um, what's paying the bills is Amazon Web Services and the AWS cloud computing system accounted for not only all of their profitability um, in the last year, but it also subsidized losses in some of their other categories. It's nice to have a segment like that that can just cut checks for everything else that you're doing, huh? Cash cow. (laughs) One last thing that I want to hit on some of the Amazon-specific data before we turn things over to the company stuff, and this is kind of a razz for you, Danny. The East Coast seemed to be in slightly better holiday spirits this season, Folks bordering the Atlantic Ocean asked Alexa to play holiday music two and a half as many times as people on the West Coast. What's going on over there, Danny? You're in San Diego. (laughs) You couldn't get into the holiday spirit? You know, I I think the holiday spirit is a little bit different here. Um, (laughs) People spend tend to spend more time outdoors. You know, it. It's pretty chilly out here. The weather got down in the in the fifties last night uh, for folks in San Diego. So, you know, but even during the daytime, it gets sunny. You get outside. You walk on the beach. Eh, you know, you're not necessarily thinking about playing Christmas music. More of like a Melikaliki Maka Christmas than a White Christmas. And, and if you're familiar with the second half of that, which uh, is appropriate to now, it's Hauoli Makahiki Hau, which is Happy New Year. <laughs> um, all right. We're going to talk about three other companies and what Amazon's press release might say about their holiday seasons. We're going to do that in the second half of the show. Before we get over there, though, I do want to thank our friends over at Casper. 
Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Their mattresses are designed by humans for humans. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And its breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. But they're not just a mattress company. Casper offers a wide array of products to ensure an overall better sleep experience. And all their mattresses are made in the United States. Buying the Casper is easy. You order online, it's delivered to your door in a compact box, and you have free shipping and free returns to the U.S. and Canada. Best of all, their mattresses come with a risk-free 100-day trial. Considering we spend a third of our lives on a mattress, it's so important to truly sleep on a mattress before you commit to buying one. That's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out. If you haven't seen a Casper mattress unboxed, check it out online. There are tons of videos. The mattress packaging seems to simply defy the laws of physics. It comes shipped in a tightly rolled, kind of almost like pastry style approach with a compact box. And after opening the packaging, boom, you have this huge comfy mattress. It goes from a tiny box to filling up your room in seconds flat. Listeners, you can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com fool and using the promo code fool at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com fool and using the promo code fool at checkout. So, Danny, I think it would be boring to just hit Amazon results. You know, we have a company that we both know is frankly crushing it. And, and so, to limit the show to that, I think would be shortchanging our listeners a little bit here. Just a little. I mean, there's, there's so much more going on uh, at Amazon than just, you know, they're dominating e-commerce sales. They're selling uh, tens of millions of devices. But not only Amazon is selling on their platform. Yeah. So we're going to take a look at the little guys here. We're going to talk about some of the companies that use Amazon as a sell-through and what some commentary and some data from Amazon might say about how their holiday seasons went. So the first company we're going to talk about is a company we've talked about a couple times on the show before, Roku, and that is the streaming TV player. Um, they basically sell hardware that allows you to stream and immediately have streaming operating system on your TV. It takes a dumb TV and makes it a smart TV in a lot of ways. And so, relevant to Roku, two of the top four best-selling TVs in the U.S. this holiday season were Roku-licensed products, the TCL 32-inch uh, and the TCL 49-inch 4K Ultra HD Roku Smart LED TV. That is a mouthful well, to say. That's a mouthful. <laughs> um, and so, looking at how licensing plays into Roku's business, it is part of the very quickly growing platform segment, which is up 140% year over year this most recent quarter. While that's gaudy growth, uh, the licensing business doesn't really factor into it all that much. Recent uh, recent commentary from management basically said, within that platform segment, ads is about two-thirds and content distribution is one-third, and and this is quoting management here, then there's a little bit of licensing from the Roku TV and Roku-powered program. So, this is not a big business for them. Um, so, don't expect you know the TV sales to be really doing anything for their top or bottom lines. Where this does factor in, though, is with more people having Roku-enabled devices in their homes, it gives Roku the chance to grow their active accounts. And, and that's something where they can kind of grow their presence in the streaming space. Right. And, you know, with the, with the advertising growing, that's a, that's their largest, well, that's their fastest growing segment. It's, it's, it will become their largest 
uh, segment here probably in the next several quarters. But it's definitely their fastest growing. Um, and advertising has been kind of a key for them. A lot of folks were wondering, you know, with their IPO, how they were going to make money selling Roku branded devices. And it turned out that that wasn't their only revenue stream. Yeah, you think about their strategy with hardware and the hardware that they personally own, not the licensed hardware. And it's basically, we just want to be in homes. We're going to be very competitively priced. We're on the low end of the market. We're on the mid-range of the market. Um, I think most of their stuff falls between about 30 bucks and about 100 bucks. So that's very competitive with like the low-end streamers like the Chromecast. And the idea is very similar with licensing, where it's like, we're not going to make a lot of money on this, but it gets us into living rooms all over the place. And then we can make our money on this high-margin uh, platform business. To walk and it seems like everybody wants to get into my living room. I, I don't understand. <laughs> it's the battle for your living room. Everyone wants to know what you're watching and what you're listening to, Danny. But to um, to walk some of the enthusiasm back a little bit with you know the excitement of licensed products for Roku selling particularly well on Amazon, some other TV streamers also sold well. So Amazon's Fire TV Stick with Alexa voice remote was the number two best-selling product across all categories on Amazon, second to only their Echo product that we mentioned earlier. Customers purchased more than twice as many Amazon Fire TV sticks as compared to last year's holiday season. And so, in talking with Roku, in talking about Roku several times, one of the things that we've mentioned is they're competing against some very deep pockets in the tech space. You know, Amazon, Alphabet, and Apple all have ambitions in the streaming space. And when you have a platform and an offering like Amazon's Prime service, um, it can be difficult to compete as a smaller player. Well, and it's also important to note that all of those other companies that you mentioned have ambitions in the streaming space. Um, it's important to mention that they're up against uh, the leader in the streaming space who already has their name on devices from many, many manufacturers, and that would be the incumbent Netflix. <laughs> and Netflix is kind of like, you know what? Put us, put us anywhere. We're we're somewhat platform agnostic. We're going to be easy, you know. We we just want to collect our eleven dollars a month. We know we put out great content, um, and and frankly, that's I think about a third of the usage for Roku is uh, Netflix. And actually, uh, that's how Roku got its start. Roku was the very first um, player for Netflix's nascent streaming business about a decade ago. So, looking at whether this is a win or loss for Roku, looking at the data that we're seeing from Amazon, you know the licensing stuff's great. Could be really good for active accounts for them. Uh, Amazon's Fire sales also not so great for them. I'm, I'm frankly just going to call this a wash. I think that it's about what we expected. Nothing too crazy. Competitive risks remain, but um, not a bad quarter for them. Uh, you know, looking at their holiday sales. You know, more of an indicator than anything else. It's nice to be. You know, part of the Amazon press release gives investors a little taste of what they might be able to expect, but I don't think it will move the needle significantly. All right, the next company we're going to talk about is iRobot. And this is a business that we haven't really talked about before, so it's probably worth giving a quick rundown on what they do and what they sell, Danny. So, iRobot is the uh, number one selling robotic vacuum cleaner. Uh, basically, it's a, a small disc-shaped device that you put on the floor, you press play, and it navigates about your house, vacuuming as it goes. 
Yeah, and <laughs> it, it seems very futuristic. Frankly, it is futuristic. It's a very cool thing to see in action, just seeing this robot, this robot kind of move about your house, pick up lint, pick up crumbs, all that stuff. Um, iRobot did not get name-checked in Amazon's press release, but from Amazon's press release, we have robot vacuums were among the best-selling home items on Amazon.com over the holiday season. And they are, frankly, the de facto robot vacuum cleaner provider, right, Danny? Absolutely. And in fact, you know, I like to play connect the dots a little bit. And if you go back again to um, Amazon Prime Day in July, um, in that press release, um, the Roomba or one of the models of the Roomba, which is the iRobot vacuum, um, that device was the top selling, if I remember correctly, it was like household item um, for Amazon Prime Day. Um, so when they called out, you know, robotic vacuums and, and iRobot is the de facto leader, you know, you can kind of draw a straight line from from there to iRobot probably did significant business on Amazon during the holiday quarter. And this is kind of consistent with what we've heard from management at iRobot talking about 2017 being kind of a step change for them in adoption of robotic vacuum cleaners. It seems like for them, this is a big growth year and one where they see adoption really increasing. We look at this being a particularly strong seller in the holiday season, and I do think that this is something that is a pretty good sign for iRobot as a business. You know, you look at kind of how they're composed right now. It's the most important segment for the company right now. I think vacuums make up about 80% of their shipments, something like 90% of their revenue. Uh, absolutely. I mean, they've got, they have, it's important to note if you go back, um, iRobot used to also play in the defense sector. Um, and they were creating robots for the military to do things like, you know, look into buildings or, uh, you know, things that would help out bomb squads, stuff like that. That was what they were they were trying to get into. And that, that didn't work out so well. They divested that part of the business here in the last couple of years. And so now they're strictly, strictly focusing on the consumer market. Um, and you're right, it's it's more than 80% of their 80% of their business is these robotic vacuums. They also have a similar device um, called the scuba that's good for mopping your kitchen floor. Yeah, and I believe they also have a small pool cleaner segment as well. But we, unlike uh, maybe the next business we're going to talk about, uh, this is a company where strong sales of the device probably indicate pretty good results for the business because uh, iRobot's results are so tied to the sales of you know their Roomba and vacuum cleaner uh, products. Uh, I just hinted at this. We're going to get to it now. Uh, company where maybe the impact's a little bit more questionable, uh, Hasbro, and this is you know one of the biggest companies in the toy and game space, and we bring them up because the best-selling toy and game item in the United States per Amazon was the Nerf N Strike Elite Strong Arm Blaster, and this is a product, Danny, that I am extremely familiar with because a lot of fools wield this model around HQ, so I am used to being shot with this thing. <laughs> Uh, I'm not surprised you'd be a target. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't appreciate that, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's true. It's very true. People seem to love this. It's a it's a fairly simple little Nerf gun. It's not one of those humongous like rifle guns. Um, I think they're about thirteen bucks or fourteen bucks or something like that. Um, and you look at a company like Hasbro, and with this announcement, they're a company that's kind of in need of some good news. 
Right. You know, if, if you go back to the last quarter, um, you know, the backdrop for all of the toy and game industry was the bankruptcy of Toys R Us and the amount of money that uh, big players like Hasbro and Mattel had on the books with Toys R Us when they filed bankruptcy. Um, there was some question whether or not um, these players would continue to uh, supply Toys R Us with um, products going into the all-important holiday season. There were negotiations. They got those out of the way. Um, but one of the things Hasbro management made a point to bring up was that there were other avenues um, you know, where, where Hasbro sold toys. It was not limited to you know, what was going to be sold at Toys R Us. And so this is just a good example of the other avenues that their management was talking about. They sold a significant number of toys on Amazon, and one of their franchise products, the Nerf, um, was the biggest selling toy on Amazon's website. And I think um, to kind of look at this on a quarter to quarter basis and understanding what this news item might mean for company sales, this is more important from a broad strategy perspective and a distribution perspective long term than it will be for maybe the immediate re uh, results for this business. You know, as we look to their next earnings call, because you you mentioned before, this is one of their franchise brands, and Nerf falls into that category with other lines like My Little Pony, Transformers, Monopoly. Overall, that segment makes up just under fifty percent of the company's top line. Nerf is a very strong performer in that segment. It's posted, uh, I believe, double-digit growth, which has outpaced the 7% growth for the segment. But because there are all so many other brands in that portfolio, it's not going to be big enough to dramatically move their overall business. I, again, this is one that's not, you know, probably not going to move the needle. Um, better as, a, as an indicator to look at, you know, Hasbro was not necessarily... Um, you know, held hostage to the situation that was going on at Toys R Us, and certainly they're going to continue to grow. Whether or not they have the same type of growth that they would have seen uh, if Toys R Us hadn't had those problems, you know, that we'll find that out here when Hasbro releases their earnings. But in the meantime, it's just an indicator that you know. Toys were still being sold over the holidays. <laughs> Shocker. Um, if you are looking for a segment to watch, I think, with Hasbro, uh, I would look at their Hasbro gaming segment. Um, they're posting 20% year-over-year growth. It's on a much smaller base. I think they're around $280 million in revenue as of the most recent quarter. Um, that's really not all that surprising, right? We look at what's going on in kind of the entertainment toy game space for younger kids, and it's increasingly digital. It's starting to look more and more like video games and you know, like mobile apps and things like that. Uh, the company is getting there, uh, but I think it, it's something that they need to make happen. Uh, it's nice to see that this has uh, some traction for them because it seems to me like the window for the age window for those classic toys is shrinking and getting smaller and smaller. Kids want to be on iPads. Kids want to be on consoles and phones. Well, you know, there, there, there are a lot of industries that are being disrupted by, you know, the, the onset of, a, of mobile devices. And I think for Hasbro, I think they are better positioned going forward than many of their industry competitors for several reasons. Um, you know, they do have some of the most well-known brands and they're working on ways for kids to, you know, interact with those brands. They have 
uh, you know, digital games for kids to download onto their devices. Uh, they also have used a lot of these brands like Transformers in the movie business just to keep them front of mind um, with the public. Um, you know, maybe some have been uh, not as successful as others. I think, uh, I think, you know, Transformers is obviously the big one. My Little Pony is another one where, you know, the studio has put out stuff that resonated with the fans. You had some others that were flops, but Hasbro has kind of a, a, an integrated um, strategy for um, international sales, omni-channel sales, keeping the products in front of the public's eye with the studio productions. So I, I think they're less, um, less going to be a victim of disruption than some of the other players, but that's always something to keep in mind. Uh, listeners, I hope no one lets Vince know that I kind of stole a CG company for this last one that we're talking about here with Hasbro. Um, Danny, thanks for hopping on. Anything else before I let you go? No, I, you know I've heard about the weather that you guys have been having back east, and uh, you know I'm I'm real sorry to hear about that. I think uh, this weekend it's going to be uh, in the high 70s in San Diego. You know we have a flukish day of low 60s right now, and the wow. the office HVAC is still on winter settings, so it is extremely warm in here. And it's also extremely warm in the studio, where things tend to run a little bit hot anyways. So, um, I am sweating, needless to say. Um, I hope you enjoy that nice 70-degree weather over there. I hope there's, I'm, I'm guessing there's no humidity in San Diego right now. And not a lot. Last time I checked, it was in the low 30% range. But, you know, we'll, we'll probably get out and take the dog to the beach this weekend. Uh, well, in, well, enjoy, Danny. Uh, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus at pool.com or you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Shout out to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. He actually gave me a tip a couple weeks ago to try eating an apple before the show to make my voice a little bit crisper, maybe make my mouth sound a little bit less saliva-y. I did it today. I think I sound better. I don't know. I'll let you chime in, though. I would agree. That's a ringing endorsement right there. <laughs> That's why he gets the big bucks. For Austin and Danny, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and fool on. <laughs>